Mr. Greatheart approached the tavern quietly, head down, his sword obscured by the wing of his cape. He felt no tingling nerves nor a rush of excitement. This was not a dangerous assignment, not for him, anyway. And it would be brief, which was becoming something of a pattern lately. Three months had now passed since Greatheart had finished his last long-term assignment, escorting an old man, one who had only passed through the Wicked Gate in his later years, all the way up to the Celestial City. The journey had been an honor, and a great benefit for both of them, but had also taken a toll on Greatheart, who had seen many close brushes with destruction along the way. Since then, he'd found himself sent on short excursions here and there, executing these one-off jobs between longer periods of mandated rest, which he knew he needed and yet struggled to fully embrace. A month at the Palace Beautiful, singing and reading, smoking pipe with Watchful and swapping old stories with Steadfast seemed at first like heaven on earth, but within a week he grew antsy and began to pray for an earthly end to his repose a prayer which had been answered with orders to come here. The door squeaked loudly as he entered the small ramshackle tavern, and the few patrons, all of them inebriated, looked up at him for just a moment before turning back to their drinks. Mr. Greatheart spotted his man, sitting on the ale bench, flanked on either side by dark figures in heavy cloaks. Mr. Generosity, is that you? Greatheart called out with a smile. The man turned and squinted at him. Uh... Do I know you? He slurred. It's your friend, Greatheart. Oh, yeah, Greatheart, the man repeated, teetering on the bench. Eh, it's Greatheart. I don't know. And who are these two fellows? Greatheart asked, whacking the dark figures on their backs. Oh, these are... Uh, don't remember. They're just always, you know, with me. Are they now? You know, we've missed you on the narrow way. Missed your kindness and joy, your service to your fellow pilgrims. What on earth are you doing here in the county of idleness on sloth? Oh, just uh, <laughs> drinking mostly. <laughs> How about you come back with me instead? He snapped his fingers at the innkeeper and said, Hey, do you have any coffee for my friend? Oh, hey, whoa, Mr. Generosity, don't fall over. Come on now, let's, let's go. We can head right back to where you left off the Pilgrim Road. The two dark figures stood in unison and turned to face Mr. Greatheart. Their skin was a pale gray. Their pupilless eyes hung heavy, sagging like a dead man's, and their hands were obscenely long and gnarled. It's ours, one of them said. Yes. The other hissed. Greatheart took a step back and carefully pushed a table aside, opening some space on the floor. All right, he said. We can dance, if you like. But before we do, tell me your names. The two creatures just glared at him. Names! Intemperance, said one of them, floating up over the bench and lighting on the floor before it. I am compulsion said the other, coming down beside his companion. And when I have had my way with you, this place will be your prison as well. I guess we'll find out. He reached beneath his cape and pulled the shield from his back, securing the straps tightly to his forearm. I'm going to be forthright with you. I've felt a little restless lately, and as a result, I might make this last a little longer than it needs to. 
With that, he spun and slammed the shield into Compulsion's face, throwing the creature back against the bar, where it bounced off and crumpled to the ground. Intemperance lurched forward clumsily, hideous hands outstretched. Greatheart stepped into him and brought the edge of the shield straight up with all his might, connecting with the creature's knobby chin and snapping its head back. Greatheart looked from one inert enemy to the other and said, Come now, that can't be all the fight you've got. Both ghouls came rushing up at him in a blur of darkness, but Greatheart's sword was out, cutting them down before they could reach him. They staggered back, mouths hanging wide, revealing hundreds of sharp, rotting teeth. Mr. Greatheart stepped forward and buried his sword, first in Compulsion's chest, and then in Temperance's. Inkeep, he said. I don't smell that coffee. Am I talking to the floorboards here, or what? No, uh, yes, sir the man behind the bar said. I'd also like a bowl of whatever that man is eating. It smells good enough. And one for my friend, too. Mr. Greatheart sat on the bench with his charge for nearly three hours until the man had sobered up. He then left payment and a generous tip for the innkeeper, saying, I'd apologize for the mess, but you're the wicked fool who profited off the work of those vile creatures for who knows how long. Now you can deal with them. As he ushered Mr. Generosity out the door, he asked, Do you know the way back to the Pilgrim Road? Yes, uh, I do. Sadly, it's a trip I've made quite a few times. He looked Mr. Greatheart in the eye and said, Thank you. Thank you for putting those things to death and dragging me out of that awful place. I'm sorry to tell you, but those two are not dead. Hard as it is to believe, even I cannot kill them outright. Nor can you. In fact, you will meet with them again and again on your journey, and each time it will be a fight of your life. Only when you reach the Celestial Gate will they finally be executed at the command of our king. Generosity nodded. Understood. I don't suppose you're going to see me back to the narrow way. I'm afraid not. Sorry. Love to, but I don't write the orders. I just obey them. Christ be with you, Generosity, and Godspeed. The two men clasped hands and generosity headed off into the woods, bound for the narrow way. No sooner had he disappeared from sight than a horse and rider came thundering up the road from the south, wearing the colors of a royal messenger. Mr. Greatheart, I presume. None other. This is for you. He extended a document, sealed with the king's crest. Greatheart broke the seal and read the orders. A smile broke out on his face. Oh, I've heard of this gentleman. Been waiting to meet him. He looked up at the messenger and asked, Just out of the city? No further? No further. All right then. He re-rolled the document, gave it back to the rider, and said, I am on my way. High and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. John Bunyan's timeless Christian allegory. As told by Zachary Bartles. Chapter 14. Faithful As Christian and Faithful came up from the dungeon, it seemed as though the entire city was packed into the courthouse, waiting to mock and jeer at the prisoners. Some pelted them again with clods of dirt, to which the guards turned a blind eye. Entering the courtroom proper, they saw the jury fenced off to the side, their faces grim. Of the twelve men, four had been among their most prominent abusers on the day they first entered town. 
Three of them wore clown makeup, and two of them frilly collars, as though they'd been pulled mid-performance from their work in the fair and herded directly into the jury box. Sit here, the pilgrims were commanded as their shackles were removed. No sooner had they obeyed than a herald announced, All rise while the Honorable Lord Hategood takes the bench! The judge was short, with dead, sleepy eyes and a small piked ant beard. Sit! He bellowed. Now, Mr. Accuser, rehearse for me the charges against these men that we might get these proceedings over with as quickly as possible. The prosecutor stood and said, Your Honor, these men have been enemies to and disturbers of the trade and amusements of this place. They have made commotions and divisions in the town and have even won a party to their own most dangerous opinions in contempt of the law of our prince and founder. The gallery behind me is filled with witnesses ready to attest to this, should these men deny the charges. Lord Hategood looked down his nose at the pilgrims and asked, Well, do you deny them? Faithful stood and answered, Your Honor, if I have set myself against anyone or anything, it was only against that which opposes him who is higher than the highest. Speak plainly, the judge barked. I mean to say that I have only been faithful to my God. As for the disturbance, I make none, being myself a man of peace, as is my companion. The so-called party that was won over to us is no more than a few good men among you who took umbrage with their baser neighbors and their cruelty. If anything, we're guilty of helping them turn from the worst to the better, and for that I say, you're welcome. And as to this prince you speak of, Am I correct in understanding him to be none other than Beelzebub, the enemy of my lord? You are correct, sir. Well then, I defy him and all his angels, and I say to hell with them, and the sooner the better. Order! Lord Hategood shouted. I will have order in these proceedings. When the crowd had settled down again, the judge addressed Christian. Do you share this man's views? I do, Christian said, without standing. Lord Hategood sucked his teeth for a moment. Given these offensive and damning statements, I wonder if there is even a need for witnesses in this case, but I suppose we must keep up the sense of propriety here. I will allow two or three witnesses. Whom will you call? First, I call Envy, Mr. Accuser said. Come up, the judge droned. When he'd taken his seat, the prosecutor asked, Do you know the prisoner at the bar? I have known this man for a long time. Envy said, and will attest upon my oath before this honorable bench that he is among the most vile... Hold! Give him his oath, the judge ordered. Right. Uh, do you swear upon the name of our Lord and Prince Beelzebub that you will give reliable testimony concerning these things? I do. The judge waved his hand. Proceed. Envy leaned back in the witness chair. My lord, this man, notwithstanding his plausible name, is one of the vilest men in our country. He regards neither prince nor people, law nor custom, but always does whatever he can to infect others with his own disloyal notions, which he calls uh, principles of faith and holiness. And in particular, I heard him once say that his Christianity and the customs of our town of vanity were diametrically opposite and could not be reconciled. In doing so, he condemns all our laudable acts and traditions, our beliefs and customs, and therefore, well, he condemns all of us, doesn't he? I see, said Lord Hategood. Is there anything else? I could go on, but I don't want to be tedious to the court, unless you have further questions. Stand by, Mr. Envy, the judge said. 
Mr. Accuser, call your next witness. I call superstition to come forward. When they'd sworn him in, the prosecutor pointed at Faithful and asked, Do you know this man? Superstition apprised the pilgrim as if he were a sick horse, not worth the trouble of treating. My lord, I have no great acquaintance with him, nor do I desire to. However, I do know that he is a very pestilent fellow. While briefly interacting with him the other day, I heard him say that our religion was a naught, and that by following it, no man could please God. As we all know, vanity is a place of love and acceptance and tolerance, but according to this man, our churches, with their bright and welcoming flags, are worthless and do nothing whatever for those who worship there. I jest not. I heard him say that those who fill her pews stand yet condemned in their sins, and finally shall be damned. Hmm. No further questions, Mr. Accuser said. You may step down, the judge told him. Oh, and I believe I see my good friend Flatterer there, waiting to take the stand. Come on up, if you will. Flatterer took the stand, was placed under oath, and said, My lord, let me first begin by saying that you are doing a fantastic job so far at providing a fair and equitable trial for these men, even though we all know what sort of men they are. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Now, what is your testimony regarding this fellow? Your honor, good men of the jury, and all you kind and wonderful people of vanity gathered here today, first, let me thank you for taking time away from our splendid fair to deal with this matter. You are all patriots. Now, as to this man, I have known him for a long time and have heard him speak things that should never be uttered. He has railed on our noble prince, Beelzebub, and spoken with contempt of his noble friends, whom we all hold in high honor, Lord Old Man, Lord Carnal Delight, Lord Luxurious, my old Lord Lechery, Sir Having Greed, and, and others of our nobility. And in addition, he said that if all men were of his mind, these lords would be considered nobles no more. And be assured, this is no temporary frenzy distemper upon an otherwise good man. No, these last few days, I've spent time with another visitor to our town, one talkative, who is well acquainted with this man and assures me that this is the prisoner's normal way of speaking. I'm sure Talkative would take the witness stand as well, although I'm not sure we'd ever get him to conclude his testimony. <laughs> I think I have heard enough, Lord Hategood said, dismissing the witness. He then turned his attention to Faithful and said, You stand accused of being a traitor, a heretic, and a fugitive. Have you heard these words of testimony against you? I have, Faithful said. May I speak a few words in my own defense? Sir, you deserve to be slain at the earliest convenience of this court, but so that no one can accuse us of not being fair and gentle, let us hear whatever vile justifications you might make for your crimes. I will be brief, Faithful said. In answer to Mr. Envy's accusations, I did identify certain laws and customs of your people which stand opposed to the word of God. If I was wrong, convince me of my error, and I will recant. As to Mr. Superstition's charges against me, all I said to him was that true worship of God requires a divine faith, and that requires a divine revelation of God's will and a submission to it on our part. Therefore, a human faith, based on the shifting sands of culture and fancy, can never profit a man, eternally speaking. And finally, Mr. Flatterer, the notorious pickthank, he has spoken truly, I suppose, although I would question his choice of terms that I did rail and the like. I 
simply said that the prince of this town, with all the rabble of his attendants, including all of those that he named, were fit for hell. Because they are. And so, the Lord have mercy on me, for I can see that you will not. Lord Hategood laughed. I see that we have four witnesses against the accused today, the last one being the accused himself. Gentlemen of the jury, you have heard what these worthy gentlemen of our town have witnessed against this man, a man who came to our peaceful fair to create uproar and unrest. You have heard that he denies none of these charges. His fate is now in your hands. Before we hear the verdict, though, let me remind you all of our ancient laws. There was indeed an act ratified in the days of Pharaoh the Great, servant of our prince, that lest those of a contrary religion should multiply and grow too strong for him, their males should be thrown into the river. There was also an act declared in the days of Nebuchadnezzar the Great, another of our prince's servants, that whoever would not fall down and worship his golden image should be thrown into a fiery furnace. Further, a similar act was made in the days of Darius, that whoever would call on any god but him should be cast into the lion's den. Now, the substance of these laws is directly applicable to this rebel here in thought, word, and deed. Held up to this standard, this man is intolerable to our good city. Glaring down at Faithful, the judge said, Sir, you may be accustomed to court proceedings in which the jury goes off in secret to reach a verdict. Not so in this place. Here, each man will announce his views publicly, so that a record exists of what he has said, a record which may later be used against him, should he stand trial for similar crimes. And so, he turned to the jury, when the clerk calls your name, please assess your verdict. Mr. Blindman, guilty. Mr. No Good, guilty as sin, your honor. Let's keep the commentary to a minimum, gentlemen, the judge said, biting down a smile. Mr. Malice, guilty. Mr. Lovelust, oh, guilty, your honor. Mr. Livloose, guilty. Mr. Impetuous, guilty. Mr. Highmind, mm, guilty. Mr. Enmity, guilty. Mr. Liar, guilty. Mr. Cruelty, guilty. Mr. Darkheart, guilty, your honor. Mr. Implacable, it's unanimous. I find him guilty as well. Lord Hategood squeezed out a self-satisfied smile and announced, The prisoner stands convicted. It is the opinion of this court that hanging would be too good a death for this prisoner. You, sir, are a vile heretic and truly insufferable. It is the ruling of this court, then, that we will adjourn these proceedings for today in order to carry out the sentence of death according to the proceedings laid out in the Handbook of Legion. We will reconvene another day to try his compatriot. He stood and summarily disappeared into his chambers. Several guards came up and laid hands on Faithful. Say goodbye to your friend, one of them taunted. Christian began to weep. Faithful, no. Be comforted, he said. Yeah, one of the guards said. You'll be joining him soon enough. And don't worry, we'll let you watch. I mean, we'll make him watch. That's not a part of me. Faithful <laughs> wrenched free from the grip of the guards and embraced Christian, whispering into his ear. They can do nothing to me now, Christian. Don't lose faith. Don't lose heart. I will see you again in the Celestial City. The two men were violently separated with more blows than were necessary, and the entire circus of the trial moved out into the midst of the fair. There, the throngs from the courthouse and the waiting crowd outside began to beat Faithful with a sense of pure delight. 
They laughed and mocked as they punched, kicked, and slapped him. Some pricked him with their swords or lanced his flesh with knife blades. Christian tried to turn away, but the ruthless guards all around him forced him to watch, taunting and laughing all the while. Faithful endured all with a courage and strength that could only have come from God himself. When the crowd grew bored of beating him, they began to hurl stones in his direction, but not with the intention of killing him immediately. Rather, they threw them just hard enough to prolong his suffering. Each time he was knocked down, Faithful stood again. Lord, do not hold this sin against them, he shouted. Again, the ground began to shake beneath their feet, and the crowd drew back a bit, spooked. At Mr. Cruelty's suggestion, a gag was tightly fitted over Faithful's mouth many times over to keep him from speaking any more of his hateful words. Then, Faithful's coat was pulled from his back and tossed aside. Leading him to a large wooden pole, they bent him over, tied his hands to it, and scourged his back until it was little more than ribbons of bloody flesh. Then they straightened him up, pressed his back to the pole, and tied him to it with thick ropes, his raw flesh screaming against the rough, splintered wood. Children began to gleefully pile logs at his feet. Christian sobbed uncontrollably at the sight of all this, oblivious to the jeering of those around him. He silently prayed, God, if you are good at all, do something to save my friend. Do something! Do something! He looked to the west, hoping to see a vast army ride up, steadfast at its head, but no one came. He looked to the east, thinking the heavenly host might overtake them now, rescue Faithful, and bring the vengeance of God upon all these godless people. Someone tossed a glowing firebrand at Faithful's feet, and the wood began to burn. Faithful twisted in pain as his clothes were scorched and began to smolder. His flesh was singed and the gag fell away from his mouth. Looking up into heaven, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then his eyes fell to somewhere behind Christian, and he said, Oh, oh, that's beautiful. Christian turned and saw a chariot behind the multitude, its wheels made of churning orange flame, and a horse of fire standing ready to ride, its mane burning blue. Ready at the reins was one of the shining ones, standing a head taller than anyone in the crowd. No one else seemed to take notice of this, but Christian watched his friend Faithful, now serene and wearing a white linen robe, take the hand of the shining one and step up onto the chariot which carried him off in a grand blaze of glory until he was out of sight. Christian fell to the ground, <laughs> weeping before Faithful's charred, smoldering corpse. He refused to get up, even when the guards kicked and threatened him. Finally, they lifted him up and carried him back to his cell in the dungeon, where they dumped him unceremoniously on the hard floor and locked him in, his wrists still unchained. The pilgrim lay there, motionless, for hours. Dinner time came and went, but Inanity did not deliver a meal, which was fine. Christian was sure he could not eat tonight anyway, certainly not the gruel they served here. His tears were renewed at the thought that such slop had been Faithful's last meal, and he wondered how long it would be before they came back to try, condemn, and execute him. If only they'd just killed him alongside his friend. Christian wanted to pray... He knew that Faithful, had their roles been reversed, would be praying, but he felt hopeless, and so he confessed his hopelessness to the Lord. 
Then he began to confess other things. How he had been so tempted to compromise in the streets of vanity, how he had truly wanted the vain glory offered there in a way that faithful clearly had not. Then the prayers began to flow in earnest. He asked for comfort in his afflictions and that he would be a worthy witness to his Lord when the time came. From there, words of praise began to pour out from his heart. He sang psalms. He sang the hymns he had written. Then he wrote another verse for his departed friend. Faithful one, you followed true, despite faithless fiends who vied for you. Forever may your name survive, for though you die, you're yet alive. Those who keep the faith through fire are flames eternal that never expire. Christian sat up, feeling a sense of enduring peace descend upon him. It was about midnight, he guessed, and he thought about the last peaceful moments he'd had with Faithful, joyfully singing hymns together in this very cell. Let Jesus wear the crown, he whispered. Suddenly the room shook, an earthquake beyond any they'd experienced since their arrival. The walls shuddered for a full minute, and when they stopped, the door of his cell creaked open. Standing tentatively, Christian tiptoed to the doorway and looked out. The hall was empty and mostly dark, the only light coming from a single candle on its side rolling toward him along the floor. Christian stepped out of the cell and moved as quickly and quietly as he could to the stone staircase, then up into the courthouse. Peering out through the windows, he saw the nightlife of Vanity Fair cautiously resuming after the violent earthquake. Men righted booths and food stands. Some were putting out fires. Women ran laughing through the chaos, chased by boisterous young men. Christian slipped out the door and darted along the side of the courthouse, keeping to the shadows. He waited there, by the rear of the building, until a roving band of merrymakers had passed, swallowed up into the debauchery of the fair proper. Then Christian ran for it, having to brave the open for a moment until he was safe behind a large drinking tent. Just the other side of the canvas, he could hear all manner of wickedness transpiring. Repulsed, he moved along the rear of the tent and tried to get his bearings. Just then, two men staggered around the corner of the tent, swilling from large jugs. Christian froze and stared at them. Look at this guy! One of the men announced gleefully. You uh, headed out to battle? What's with all the... Ooh, the sword of armor! It's, a, it's like a little tin soldier here. Wait, wait, I know this fellow, his companion shouted. Christian stepped back into the shadows. He was at the trial today, remember? That's the defendant. Oh, no, no, we killed that guy, though. I think we killed that guy. No, the other one, the one we didn't kill. He glared at Christian. What are you doing out here? Where do you think you're going? Christian smiled sheepishly for a moment, then turned and sprinted as hard as he could toward the darkness at the edge of the fair. The two men gave chase, one of them shouting, Hey, guard! Over here! Escape prisoner! Christian could feel them at his back, neither gaining on him nor losing ground, but he knew he could not keep up this pace much longer. Ahead, he saw a stand of dense trees stretched across with dozens of hammocks, most of them seemingly unoccupied. A long banner hung 20 feet off the ground, identifying the place as the Grotto of Love, although the word love had been crossed out and lust written above it. 
The pilgrim poured the last of his reserves on the fire and charged all the faster into the midst of the trees. He ducked under an empty hammock, crunched through a few yards of brush, and then crawled beneath another hammock, this one containing at least two writhing bodies. Lord, take me out of this wicked place, he prayed. Bring me out of this wicked town. Christian could hear his pursuers entering the grove behind him, and in a bit of panic, he dove into an empty hammock and went limp, trying to remain completely motionless. Through the canvas, he could hear the three men searching methodically for him, peering into hammocks without apology, drawing ever closer to the pilgrim's position. Then Christian found himself summarily dumped to the ground and looking up at the same guard who had arrested and beaten him four days earlier. The city's vulgar coat of arms, prominently pinned upon his tunic, shimmered in the moonlight. We meet again, the guard said with a grin, and then let loose with a savage kick against Christian's side. The other two men came up, flanking him, grinning even wider like a pack of dogs at an injured hare. You know what our law says about fugitives? One of them asked. It says we can have fun with them before we bring them back. Gentlemen, came a voice from behind Christian. This man is under my protection. I'll ask you to step back now and leave him alone. Oh yeah, and who are you? The guard demanded. Christian scrambled out from between these men as they faced off three against one. They call me Greatheart, and I've been tasked with bringing this man safely away from this wicked town. The man was tall and broad-shouldered, and looked to Christian like he could have been Faithful's older brother, or maybe Steadfast's son. I'll give you this one chance to walk away, he said, tossing the cape back over his left shoulder to reveal an ornate sword at his side. The three brigands glanced at each other, snickered, and rushed the intruder. Greatheart ducked one blow, absorbed another, and then delivered two of his own in swift succession to the guard's nose, audibly crunching through the cartilage. One of the other men rushed in, intent on tackling Greatheart to the ground, but only found himself flying through the air and colliding with a tree right where his neck met the base of his skull. He rolled to his hands and knees, attempted to stand, then staggered and fell again to the ground. The last man rushed Greatheart from behind, a jagged rock in his hand. Christian shook himself from his stupor and charged the man, colliding hard with him and knocking him off course. Greatheart turned just in time to drag the attacker to the ground and keep him there with a well-placed blow. The big guard was rising now, shaking his head violently, hand moving toward his sword, but Greatheart was faster, drawing his own blade and holding it a few inches shy of the guard's throat. Uh-uh-uh. Let's see those hands, he said. Put them up high. Now, wiggle your fingers. Come now, you can wiggle them better than that. With feeling. Oh, very good. Greatheart sheathed his sword and punched the guard again in his broken nose before grabbing the man's tunic at his back and pulling it down over his head. With a twist of the hip, he tossed the man right out of his cloak and into a hammock. Behind you! Christian called out. Greatheart stepped aside and watched his rock-wielding attacker run headlong into the same hammock containing the guard, the two becoming entangled. He then cinched it shut like a canvas cocoon and ordered, Christian, quickly, there's a coil of rope hanging from my belt. Wrap it around these gentlemen a few times. The men were struggling and kicking now while Greatheart fought to keep his grip. There you go, a little tighter maybe. Even, even tighter yet. Christian worked as fast as he could. You just keep a length of rope on you? In my line of work, it comes in handy more than you'd think. Maybe a couple more loops, but leave some for me. There you go. Do you know any good knots? I can manage, Christian said, tying it off several times over. 
Mr. Greatheart drew his sword once again and ordered the dazed man on the ground to turn onto his belly, hands behind his back. He then hogtied him with the same length of rope and finally tied the end of it to a nearby tree. That should occupy them for a while, he said. Glancing around in the moonlight, it seemed to dawn on him that no one else in the grove had even bothered to investigate the violence that had just transpired. The sounds of snoring and fornication continued unabated. Ugh, this wicked town. Come, Christian, let's get you out of here. He grabbed up the guard's tunic from the ground and wrapped it around himself. I'll just be borrowing your cloak for a moment, he threw over his shoulder. As they emerged from the stand of trees, Greatheart whispered, Act like you're my prisoner. Put your hands behind your back. There you go. They traveled a few hundred yards before a guard shouted, You there! Where are you going with that one? There was an escape attempt, Greatheart answered. So I'm relocating him. Is that a problem? The guard waved him on, and they approached the place where the narrow way left the town of Vanity on the side nearest the Celestial City. I can accompany you no further, Mr. Greatheart said. I will watch over you to ensure you get safely out of this town. Beyond that, if you move carefully and keep low, you should be out of immediate danger by morning. But keep moving. No sleep, Christian. Not tonight. How do you know my name, sir? I was tasked by our king with seeing you safely out of this place. But why didn't you come earlier? If you had, there would be not one, but two pilgrims headed back on the narrow way. Mr. Greatheart put a hand on Christian's shoulder and met his eye with all sympathy. I'm sorry. I don't write the orders. I just obey them. And if I'd come here yesterday, a man named Generosity would be dead on the ale bench by now. Christian nodded and wrapped his arms around Greatheart, who stiffened a moment, a bit uncomfortable with the embrace, before giving Christian's back two friendly pats. The pilgrim took two steps toward the edge of vanity, then hesitated. Will they come after me? I doubt it very much. By the time anyone discovers your absence, you will have quite the head start. There's one man who's sure to find me gone first thing in the morning, and I can only assume he's going to raise the alarm. Then we shall pray to the one who overrules all things, having the power of this city's rage in his own hand that he will allow the blood of good faithful to have quenched their bloodlust, even as it is already sowing seeds of faith among many wicked men. But now, you really do need to go. Christ be with you, Christian, and Godspeed. We will meet again, along the road or in the city. Christian took off like a shot, and before he knew it, Vanity Fair was well at his back. Still, he felt his heart pounding against his ribs for more than a mile. The thought of Mr. Greatheart covering his exit brought him some comfort, but how long would that man stay there? For all Christian knew, the three men they'd bested and restrained had already freed themselves and were even now gathering a vengeful mob to track and overtake him, to drag him back and put him to death. Christian tried to walk briskly without making noise, certain that he could feel someone behind him, gaining on him. No, he thought, I'm imagining it. I've got a window of safety. But then he heard the snap of a twig no more than ten feet behind. He spun and gazed into the darkness. Mr. Greatheart? Is that you? He called out. No answer. Then he saw the silhouette of a man standing in the middle of the path. Who are you? Christian demanded, inching closer to him. The man said nothing. Christian took three more steps and felt his heart sink. He recognized the man's face. It was 
inanity. Only he was not wearing his silly hat or his usual garments. No, he was wearing... How dare you, Christian said, drawing yet closer. Rage began coursing through his veins. I'm sorry? You took his coat? Like some kind of trophy? Some, what, curiosity? Is that funny to you? He took another step, vengeance building in his heart. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. If the, if the Romans gambled for the cloak of Jesus, it only makes sense that a man like you would... Then Christian saw the sword in his pursuer's hand and wheezed a defeated laugh. Oh, I see. You're here to bring me back. The man looked down at the sheathed weapon in his hands, confused. Then he held it out, handle first, toward its owner. Only then did Christian notice the mark on this man's forehead. My name is no longer Inanity. You can call me Hopeful, and I'm here to join you. Thanks for listening. To support this program, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress and or take two minutes to leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. Poem this week by Aaron Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional voice talent this week by Josh Loftus. Additional sound effects and music licensed from Pond5 and Audio Micro. For more engaging audio fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com slash audio. High and silver. Cut.